Chapter 7 of A Popular History of Astronomy During the Nineteenth Century. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Popular History of Astronomy During the Nineteenth Century by Agnes Mary Clerke. Chapter 7 Part 2 Planets and Satellites from the observation at bologna in 1666 through 67 of some very faint spots domenico cassini concluded a rotation or libration of venus he was not sure which in about 23 hours by bianchini in 1726 the period was augmented to 24 days 8 hours J. J. Cassini, however, in 1740, showed that the data collected by both observers were consistent with rotation in 23 hours 20 minutes. So the matter rested until Schroeder's time. After watching nine years in vain, he at last, February 28, 1788, perceived the ordinarily uniform brightness of the planet's disk to be marbled with a filmy streak, which returned periodically to the same position in about 23 hours 28 minutes. This approximate estimate was corrected by the application of a more definite criterion. On December 28, 1789, the southern horn of the crescent Venus was seen truncated, an outlying lucid point interrupting the darkness beyond. Precisely the same appearance recurred two years later, giving for the planet's rotation a period of 23 hours 21 minutes. To this, only 22 seconds were added by De Vico as a result of over 10,000 observations made with the Koshwa refractor of the Collegio Romano, 1839-41. The axis of rotation was found to be much more bowed towards the orbital plane than that of the Earth, the equator making with it an angle of 53 degrees 11 minutes. These conclusions inspired it is true, much distrust. Consequently, there were no received ideas on the subject to be subverted. Nevertheless, a shock of surprise was felt at Schiaparelli's announcement, early in 1890, that Venus most probably rotates after the fashion just previously ascribed to Mercury. A continuous series of observations from November 1877 to February 1878 with their records in above a hundred drawings, supplied the chief part of the data upon which he rested his conclusions. They certainly appeared exceptionally well-grounded, and the doubts at first qualifying them were removed by a fresh set of determinations in July 1895. Most observers had depended, in their attempts to ascertain the rotation period of Venus, upon evanescent shadings most likely of atmospheric origin and scarcely recognizable from day to day schiaparelli fixed his attention upon round defined lustrously white spots the presence of which near the cusps of the illuminated crescent has been attested for close upon two centuries his steady watch over them showed the invariability of their position with regard to the terminator, and this is as much as to say that the regions of day and night do not shift on the surface of the planet. 
in other words she keeps the same face always turned towards the sun moreover since her orbit is nearly circular libratory effects are very small they amount in fact to only just one thirtieth of those serving to modify the severe contrasts of climate in mercury confirmatory evidence of schiaparelli's result for venus is not wanting thus observations irreconcilable with a swift rate of rotation were made at bothkamp in eighteen seventy one by vogel and Lossi, and a drawing executed by professor holden with the great washington reflector december fifteenth eighteen seventy seven showed the same markings in the positions recorded at milan to have been occupied by them eight hours previously further a series of observations carried out by mr periton at nice may fifteen to october fourth eighteen ninety and from mount mounier in eighteen ninety five through six with the special aim of testing the inference of synchronous rotation and revolution proved strongly corroborative of it a remarkable collection of drawings made by mr lowell in eighteen ninety six appeared decisive in its favor ticini at rome muscari at catania and etna ceruli at Toronto, obtained in eighteen ninety two through six evidence similar in purport on the other hand Neeston of Brussels found reason to revert to Vico's discarded elements for the planet's rotation, and Truvelo, Stanley Williams, Villager, and Leo Brenner so far agreed with him as to adopt a period of approximately twenty-four hours. Finally, E. von Oppolzer suggested an appeal to the spectroscope, and Belopolsky secured in nineteen hundred spectrograms apparently marked by the minute displacements corresponding to a rapid rate of axial movement but they were avowedly taken only as an experiment with unsuitable apparatus and the desirable verification of their supposed import is not yet forthcoming until it is schiaparelli's period of two hundred and twenty five days must be allowed to hold the field effects attributed to great differences of level in the surface of venus have struck many observers francesco fontana at naples in sixteen forty three noticed irregularities along the inner edge of the crescent lahir in seventeen hundred considered them regard being had to difference of distance to be much more strongly marked than those visible in the moon Schroeter's assertions to the same effect, though scouted with some unnecessary vehemence by Herschel, have since been repeatedly confirmed, amongst others by Madler, De Vico, Langdon, who in 1873 saw the broken line of the Terminator with peculiar distinctness through a veil of auroral cloud, by Denning, March 30, 1881, despite preliminary impressions to the contrary, as well as by c v zenger at prague january eighth eighteen eighty three the great mountain mass presumed to occasion the periodical blunting of the southern horn was precariously estimated by the lilienthal observer to rise to the prodigious height of nearly twenty seven miles or just five times the elevation of mount everest yet the phenomenon persists whatever may be thought of the explanation 
moreover the speck of light beyond interpreted as the visible sign of a detached peak rising high enough above the encircling shadow to catch the first and last rays of the sun was frequently discerned by baron von erdborn in eighteen seventy six while an object near the northern horn of the crescent strongly resembling a lunar ring mountain was delineated both by Duvico in 1841 and by Denning 40 years later. We are almost equally sure that Venus, as that the Earth, is encompassed with an atmosphere. Yet notwithstanding luminous appearances plainly due to refraction, during the transits both of 1761 and 1769, Schroeter in 1792 took the initiative in coming to a definite conclusion on the subject it was founded first on the rapid diminution of brilliancy towards the terminator attributed to atmospheric absorption next on the extension beyond a semicircle of the horns of the crescent lastly on the presence of a bluish gleam illuminating the early hours of the cytherean night with what was taken to be genuine twilight even herschel admitted that sunlight by the same effect through which the heavenly bodies show visibly above our horizons while still geometrically below them appeared to be bent round the shoulder of the globe of venus ample confirmation of the fact has since been afforded at dorpat in may eighteen forty nine the planet being within three degrees twenty six minutes of inferior conjunction madler found the arms of waning light upon the disk to embrace no less than 240 degrees of its extent. And in December 1842, Mr. Guthrie of Burvey, New Brunswick, actually observed, under similar conditions, the whole circumference to be lit up with a faint nebulous glow. The same curious phenomenon was intermittently seen by Mr. Leeson Prince at Uckfield in September 1861 but with more satisfactory distinctness by Mr. C. S. Lyman of Yale College before and after the conjunction of December 11, 1866, and during nearly five hours previous to the transit of 1874, when the yellowish ring of refracted light showed at one point an approach to interruption, possibly through the intervention of a bank of clouds. Again, on December 2nd, 1898, Venus being 1 degrees 45 minutes from the sun's center, Mr. H. N. Russell of the Halstead Observatory described the coalescence of the cusps and founded on the observation a valuable discussion of such effects. Taking account of certain features in the case left unnoticed by Neeson and Proctor, he inferred from them the presence of a Cytherean atmosphere considerably less refractive than our own, although possibly, in its lower strata, encumbered with dust or haze. Similar appearances are conspicuous during transits, but while the Mercurian halo is characteristically seen on the sun, the silver thread round the limb of Venus commonly shows on the part off the sun. There are, however, instances of each description in both cases. Mr. Grant, in collecting the records of physical phenomena accompanying the transits of 1761 and 1769, remarks 
that no one person saw both kinds of annulus, and argues a dissimilarity in their respective modes of production. Such a dissimilarity probably exists, in the sense that the inner section of the ring is illusory, the outer a genuine result of the bending of light in a gaseous envelope. But the distinction of separate visibility has not been borne out by recent experience. Several of the Australian observers during the transit of 1874 witnessed the complete phenomenon. Mr. J. MacDonnell at Eden saw a shadowy nebulous ring surround the whole desk when ingress was two-thirds accomplished. Mr. Tornaghi at Goldborn perceived a halo entire and unmistakable at half-egress. Similar observations were made at Sydney and were renewed in 1882 by Leskerbal at Auguries, by Metzger in Java, and by Barnard at Vanderbilt University. Spectroscopic indications of aqueous vapor, as present in the atmosphere of Venus, were obtained in 1874 and 1882 by Ticini and Rico in Italy, and by Young in New Jersey. Jansen, however, who made a special study of the points subsequently to the transit of 1882, found them much less certain than he had anticipated, and Vogel, by repeated examinations, 1871-73, through 73, could detect only the very slightest variations from the pattern of the solar spectrum. Some additions there indeed seem to be in the thickening of a few water and oxygen lines, but so nearly evanescent as to induce the persuasion that most of the light we receive from Venus has traversed only the tenuous upper portion of its atmosphere. It is reflected at any rate, with comparatively slight diminution, on the 26th and 27th of September, 1878, a close conjunction gave Mr. James Nasmith the rare opportunity of watching Venus and Mercury for several hours side by side in the field of his reflector, when the former appeared to him like clean silver, the latter as dull as lead or zinc. Yet the light incident upon Mercury is on average three and a half times as strong as the light reaching Venus. Thus, the reflective power of Venus must be singularly strong. And we find accordingly from a combination of Zollner's with Muller's results that its albedo is but little inferior to that of new-fallen snow. In other words, it gives back 77% of the luminous rays impinging upon it. This extraordinary brilliancy would be intelligible were it permissible to suppose that we see nothing of the planet but a dense canopy of clouds. But the hypothesis is discountenanced by the Flagstaff observations, and is irreconcilable with the visibility of mountainous elevations and permanent surface markings. To Mr. Lowell, these were so distinct and unchanging as to furnish data for a chart of the Cytherean globe, and the peculiar arrangement of divergent shading exhibited in it cannot offhand be set down as unreal, in view of Perotin's earlier discernment of analogous linear traces. Grutusen snowcaps, however, it is safe to say, do not exist as such. 
although shining regions near the poles form a well-attested trait of the strange cytherean landscape the secondary or ashen light of venus was first noticed by riccioli in sixteen forty three it was seen by durham about seventeen fifteen by kirch in seventeen twenty one by schroeter and harding in eighteen o six and the reality of the appearance has since been authenticated by numerous and trustworthy observations it is precisely similar to that of the old moon in the new moon's arms and zenger who witnessed it with unusual distinctness january eighth eighteen eighty three supposes it due to the same cause namely to the faint gleam of reflected earthlight from the night side of the planet when we remember however that full earthlight on venus at its nearest has little more than one twelve thousandth its intensity on the moon we see at once that the explanation is inadequate nor can professor Safarix, by phosphorescence of the warm and teeming oceans with which zollner regarded the globe of venus as mainly covered be seriously entertained vogel's suggestion is more plausible he and o losa at bothkamp november three two eleven eighteen seventy one saw the dark hemisphere partially illuminated by secondary light extending thirty degrees from the terminator and thought the effect might be produced by a very extensive twilight others have had recourse to the analogy of our aurorae and j lamp suggested that the grayish gleam visible to him at bothkamp october twenty one and twenty six eighteen eighty seven might be an accompaniment of electrical processes connected with the planet's meteorology whatever the origin of the phenomenon it may serve on a night enwrapped hemisphere to dissipate some of the thick darkness otherwise encroached upon only by the pale light of stars venus was once supposed to possess a satellite but belief in its existence has died out no one indeed has caught even a deceptive glimpse of such an object during the last hundred and twenty-five years yet it was repeatedly and one might have thought well observed in the seventeenth and eighteenth centuries fontana discovered it in sixteen forty five cassini an adept in the art of seeing recognized it in sixteen seventy two and again in sixteen eighty six short watched it for a full hour in seventeen forty with varied instrumental means Tobias Mayer in 1759, Montaigne in 1761, several astronomers at Copenhagen in March 1764 noted what they considered its unmistakable presence, as did Horabau in 1768. But Paul Strubon, who in 1887 submitted all the available data on the subject to a searching examination, identified Horabau's satellite with Libra a fifth magnitude star and a few other apparitions were by his industry similarly explained away nevertheless several withstood all efforts to account for them and together form a most curious case of illusion for it is quite certain that venus has no such conspicuous attendant
the third planet encountered in traveling outward from the sun is the abode of man he has in consequence opportunities for studying its physical habitudes altogether different from the baffling glimpse afforded to him of the other members of the solar family regarding the earth then a mass of knowledge so varied and comprehensive has been accumulated as to form a science or rather several sciences apart but underneath all lie astronomical relations the recognition and investigation of which constitute one of the most significant intellectual events of the present century it is indeed far from easy to draw a line of logical distinction between items of knowledge which have their proper place here and those which should be left to the historian of geology there are some however of which the cosmical connections are so close that it is impossible to overlook them among these is the ascertainment of the solidity of the globe at first sight it seems difficult to conceive what the apparent positions of the stars can have to do with subterranean conditions yet it was from star measurements alone that hopkins in eighteen thirty nine concluded the earth to be solid to a depth of at least eight hundred or a thousand miles his argument was that if it were a mere shell filled with liquid precession and nutation would be much larger than they are observed to be for the shell alone would follow the pull of the sun and moon on its equatorial girdle leaving the liquid behind and being thus so much the lighter would move the more readily there is it is true grave reason to doubt whether this reasoning corresponds with the actual facts of the case but the conclusion to which it led has been otherwise affirmed and extended indications of an identical purport have been derived from another kind of external disturbance affecting our globe through the same agencies lord kelvin then sir william thompson pointed out in eighteen sixty two that tidal influences are brought to bear on land as well as on water although obedience to them is perceptible only in the mobile element some bodily distortion of the earth's figure must however take place unless we suppose it is of absolute or preternatural rigidity and the amount of such distortion can be determined from its effect in diminishing oceanic tides below their calculated value for if the earth were perfectly plastic to the stresses of solar and lunar gravity tides in the ordinary sense would not exist continents and oceans would swell and subside together it is to the difference in the behavior of solid and liquid terrestrial constituents that the ebb and flow of the waters are due six years later the distinguished glasgow professor suggested that this criterion might by the aid of a prolonged series of exact tidal observations be practically applied to test the interior condition of our planet in eighteen eighty two accordingly suitable data extending over thirty-three years having at length become available mr g h darwin performed the laborious task of their analysis with the general result that the effective rigidity of the earth's mass 
must be at least as great as that of steel ratification from an unexpected quarter has lately been brought to this conclusion the question of a possible mobility in the earth's axis of rotation has often been mooted now at last it has received an affirmative reply dr kustner detected in his observations of eighteen eighty four through eighty five effects apparently springing from a minute variation in the latitude of berlin the matter having been brought before the international geodetic association in eighteen eighty eight special observations were set on foot at berlin potsdam prague strasbourg the upshot of which was to bring plainly to view synchronous and seemingly periodic fluctuations of latitude to the extent of half a second of arc the reality of these was verified by an expedition to honolulu in eighteen ninety one through ninety two the variations there corresponding inversely to those simultaneously determined in europe their character was completely defined by mr s c chandler's discussion in october of eighteen ninety one he showed that they could be explained by supposing the pole of the earth to describe a circle with a radius of thirty feet in a period of fourteen months confirmation of this hypothesis was found by dr b a gould in the cordoba observations and it was provided with a physical basis through the able cooperation of professor newcomb the earth owing to its ellipsoidal shape should apart from disturbance rotate upon its axis of figure or shortest diameter since thus alone can the centrifugal forces generated by its spinning balance each other temporary causes however such as heavy falls of snow or rain limited to one continental area the shifting of ice masses even the movements of winds may render the globe slightly lopsided and thus oblige it to forsake its normal axis and rotate on one somewhat divergent from it this instantaneous axis for it is incessantly changing must by mathematical theory revolve round the axis of figure in a period of three hundred and six days provided that is to say the earth were a perfectly rigid body but it is far from being so it yields sensibly to every strain put upon it and this yielding tends to protract the time of circulation of the displaced pole the length of its period then serves as a kind of measure of the plasticity of the globe which according to newcomb's and s s howe's independent calculations seems to be a little less than that of steel in an earth compacted of steel the instantaneous axis would revolve in four hundred and forty-one days in the actual earth the process is accomplished in four hundred and twenty-eight days by this new path accordingly astronomers have been led to an identical estimate of the consistence of our globe with that derived from tidal investigations variations of latitude are intrinsically complex to produce them an incalculable interplay of causes must be at work with each its proper period and law of action all the elements of the phenomenon are then in a perpetual state of flux and absorb 
for their continual redetermination the arduous and combined labors of many astronomers nor is this trouble superfluous minute in extent though they be the shiftings of the pole menace the very foundations of exact celestial science their neglect would leave the entire fabric insecure just at the beginning of the present century they reached a predicted minimum but are expected again to augment their range after the year nineteen o two the interesting suggestion has been made by mr j holm that such fluctuations are in some obscure way affected by changes in solar activity and conform like them to an eleven-year cycle in a paper read before the geological society december fifteenth eighteen thirty sir john herschel threw out the idea that the perplexing changes of climate revealed by the geological record might be explained through certain slow fluctuations in the eccentricity of the earth's orbit produced by the disturbing action of the other planets shortly afterwards however he abandoned the position as untenable and it was left to the late dr james crawl in eighteen sixty four and subsequent years to reoccupy and fortify it within restricted limits as lagrange and more certainly and definitively leverrier proved the path pursued by our planet round the sun alternately contracts in the course of ages into a moderate ellipse and expands almost to a circle the major axis and consequently the mean distance remaining invariable even at present when the eccentricity approaches a minimum the sun is nearer to us in january than in july by above three million miles and some eight hundred and fifty thousand years ago this difference was more than four times as great dr kroll brought together a mass of evidence to support the view that at epochs of considerable eccentricity the hemisphere of which the winter occurring at aphelion was both intensified and prolonged must have undergone extensive glaciation while the opposite hemisphere with a short mild winter and long cool summer enjoyed an approach to perennial spring these conditions were exactly reversed at the end of ten thousand five hundred years through the shifting of the perihelion combined with the precession of the equinoxes the frozen hemisphere blooming into a luxuriant garden as its seasons came round to occur at the opposite sites of the terrestrial orbit and the vernal hemisphere subsiding simultaneously into ice-bound rigor thus a plausible explanation was offered of the anomalous alternations of glacial and semi-tropical periods attested on incontrovertible geological evidence as having succeeded each other in times past over what are now temperate regions they succeeded each other it is true with much less frequency and regularity than the theory demanded but the discrepancy was overlooked or smoothed away the most recent glacial epoch was placed by dr kroll about two hundred thousand years ago when the eccentricity of the earth's orbit was three point four times as great as it is now 
at present a faint representation of such a state of things is afforded by the southern hemisphere one condition of glaciation in the coincidence of winter with the maximum of remoteness from the sun is present the other a high eccentricity is deficient yet the ring of ice-bound territory hemming in the southern pole is well known to be far more extensive than the corresponding region in the north the verification of this ingenious hypothesis depends upon a variety of intricate meteorological conditions some of which have been adversely interpreted by competent authorities what is still more serious its acceptance seems precluded by time relations of a simple kind dr wright has established with some approach to certainty that glacial conditions seized in canada and the united states about ten or twelve thousand years ago the erosive action of the falls of niagara qualifies them to serve as a clepsydra or water clock on a grand scale and their chronological indications have been amply corroborated elsewhere and otherwise on the same continent the astronomical ice age however should have been enormously more antique no reconciliation of the facts with the theory appears possible the first attempt at an experimental estimate of the mean density of the earth was masculine's observation in seventeen seventy four of the deflection of a plumb line through the attraction of shehalian the conclusion thence derived that our globe weighs four and a half times as much as an equal bulk of water was not very exact it was considerably improved upon by cavendish who in seventeen ninety eight brought into use the torsion balance constructed for the same purpose by john michel the resulting estimate of five point four eight was raised to five point six six by francis bailey's elaborate repetition of the process in eighteen thirty eight through forty two from experiments on the subject made in eighteen seventy two to seventy three by cornu and bale the slightly inferior value of five point five six was derived and it was further shown that the data collected by bailey when corrected for a systematic error gave practically the same result five point five five mr wilsing's of five point five eight obtained at potsdam in eighteen eighty nine nearly agreed with it while professor pointing by means of a common balance arrived at a terrestrial mean density of five point four nine professor boys next entered the field with an exquisite apparatus in which a quartz fibre performed the functions of a torsion rod the figure five point five three determined by him and exactly confirmed by dr brown's research at mariaschein bohemia in eighteen ninety six may be called the standard value of the required datum newton's guess at the average weight of the earth as five or six times that of water has thus been curiously verified operations for determining the figure of the earth were carried out during the last century on an unprecedented scale the russo-scandinavian arc of which the measurement was completed under the direction of the eldest Struve in eighteen fifty five 
reached from Hammerfest to Asmalia on the Danube, a length of twenty-five degrees twenty minutes. But little inferior to it was the Indian arc, begun by Lambton in the first years of the century, continued by Everest, revised and extended by Walker. Both were surpassed in compass by the Anglo-French arc, which embraced twenty-eight degrees, and considerable segments of meridians near the Atlantic and Pacific shores of North America were measured under the auspices of the United States Coast Survey. But these operations shrink into insignificance by comparison with Sir David Gill's grandiose scheme for uniting two hemispheres by a continuous network of triangulation. The history of geodesy in South Africa began with Lassiel's measurements in 1752. They were repeated and enlarged in scope by Sir Thomas Maclear in 1841 through 48 his determinations prepared the way for a complete survey of Cape Colony and Natal, executed during the ten years of 1883 through 92 by Colonel Morris, R.E., under the direction of Sir David Gill. Pechiawanalan and Rhodesia were subsequently included in the work, and the Royal Astronomer obtained in 1900 the support of the International Geodetic Association for its extension to the mouth of the Nile. Nor was this the limit of his design. By carrying the survey along the Levantine coast, connection can be established with Struve's system, and the magnificent amplitude of 105 degrees will be given to the conjoined African and European arcs. Meantime, the French have undertaken the re-measurement of Bossier's Peruvian arc, and a corresponding Russo-Swedish enterprise is progressing in Spitzenbergen, so that abundant materials will ere long be provided for fresh investigations of the shape and size of our planet. The smallness of the outstanding uncertainty can be judged by comparing J.B. Listings with General Clark's results, published in the same year, 1878. Listings stated the dimensions of the terrestrial spheroid as follows equatorial radius is three thousand nine hundred and sixty miles the polar radius is three thousand nine hundred and forty seven miles ellipticity is one over two hundred and eighty eight point five clark's corresponding figures were three thousand nine hundred and sixty three and three thousand nine hundred and fifty miles giving an ellipticity of 1 over 293.5. The value of the latter fraction at present generally adopted is 1 over 292. That is to say, the thickness of the protuberant equatorial ring is held to be 1 over 292 of the equatorial radius. From astronomical considerations, it is true Newcomb estimated the ratio at 1 over 308, but for obtaining this particular datum, geodetical methods are unquestionably to be preferred. End of chapter 7, part 2